if you don't have a good RTR, then you could get an RPE. Resume producing event. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) You could restore it all. And rescue me from pain. Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restored All Podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup. And I have with me my body repair specialist, Prasanna Malianti. <laughs> How's it going, Prasanna? Auto body repair. Uh, yeah, auto body special. repair. Just, I should, just, I should just spe- to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> yes, auto body repair specialist. Yes. And 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 this and we've discussed this falls under your YouTube skills, just to be specific, yep. not your actual skills. You we have yes. to when talking about persona, we have to clarify. Differentiate between the two. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I, I, I also have a set of um, similar skills. Uh, I can talk to you about repointing uh, rock walls. Um, th- that's what they call it, <laughs> where they where they scrape out the grout, and then they put, not grout, they don't call it grout, uh, mortar, right? Mm. Between This is like a stone wall. Yeah. Made of actual stones, right? Um, and, and wait, why do you know that? Because I've watched every episode of a show called Stonehouse Revival, which is, <laughs> by the way, an, an amazing show. Um, it's a guy. It's it's he falls into the category of like you know, like I definitely have a man crush on him because he, you know, he he works with his hands. He is a carpenter, like he's a finished carpenter. He he occasionally makes like actual period correct pieces of furniture mm. to go in these stone so it's in Pennsylvania mm-hmm. right and he um he finds these houses that are like 200 years old that people live in yeah but then someone remodeled them with like drywall oh, and stuff it. Yeah. yeah or they put down linoleum on a on a 200 uh, year old wood floor and he rips it up and and he tr- he tries as much as you know. His joy is to like the ultimate dream is to tear down drywall and find a stone fireplace, mm. right? That, that, and that does occasionally happen. Sometimes they take the actually. Uh, sometimes they'll it'll be drywall. Sometimes it'll be plaster. They'll have a stone mm. wall and they'll just put plaster over it. Plaster over it. And what these yeah. people want is that they want to bring back that stone yeah. wall. It's right? like. Nicole Curtis from Rehab Addict. She does similar things in Minnesota. Yeah, I um uh, I haven't seen that show. Now now I have to maybe go see that show. But um it's and so so one of the things that they do, they have a they have a, a stone guy and this is mm-hmm. all he does and he he will use a hammer chisel uh and chisel all of the um plaster off of a stone wall and then he will then chisel all of the mortar joints mm. right between each of them and then he puts fresh mortar back fresh mortar. and that's called repointing but how do, i'm assuming he doesn't take all the mortar out no or it's does just he... it's surface mortar okay right gotcha. surface mortar and then he puts all this mortar back but he has to take enough off to for the mortar to adhere just, you know yeah um but it looks gorgeous after he's done and so <laughs> i'm a specialist in mortar repair <laughs> and repointing of a wall but have never actually I don't think I've ever even touched a stone wall. Um, okay, that's you not can true. Start. I have touched. I have touched possibly the most famous stone wall yeah. in the world. Yep, 
in Israel. In Israel, yeah, the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, the yeah, they just call it the wall. A, a lot of most people call it the Wailing Wall, but they locals just call it the wall. Um, but uh, so yeah, so you've been advising me on. <laughs> um, so I recently put some pretty heavy dings on some doors of my 2013 Prius and the cost to repair it. So I have a $2,500, um, what do you call it? What's that called? Deductible. Uh, deductible. Thank you. A $2,500 deductible. And the estimate was $2,495. Just, <laughs> just, just wrong. Right. And so I got the idea to get a couple of doors from a local junkyard. Well, first off, I don't want to spend $2,500 to fix what is essentially a minor, yeah. you know, damage to my door, uh, to two doors. That's the problem. It's to two doors. And I also don't want to spend like a thousand dollars to buy two, you know, two yeah. official doors, doors when I can on a free day drive up to North Los Angeles yeah. and bring my, my tools. I am capable and, um, take apart, take these two doors off and bring them back and put them on my own car. And save myself, uh, like you know, yeah, yeah. The and, cost and, and, of these and, and, two and, doors, but two doors and a mirror was two hundred bucks. No, and the other comment is even the thousand dollars you would have spent on new doors. Yeah, you then have to get it painted because they yes. don't come painted. Right, right, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. So these, by by getting the right year and the right color, uh, they will essentially match. And I, I actually doubt anybody will notice the difference in, if if there's any difference in fading or whatever. Yeah. Um and um, score more score. people should go. Yeah. 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 It's about, it's about saving the environment persona. You know, that's what yeah. I'm trying to do here. Trying to not have a single use car. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, goodness. All right. So speaking of saving the world, we're going to do another sort of, uh, I don't know, maybe this will be a trend for us, a- an article review podcast where we discuss an article that uh, we found online. This one is uh, by Mark Dargan in uh, Network World. Uh, you can find it at networkworld.com. It's 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 interesting. It's it's listed as an opinion, which I which I thought was interesting. Uh, the title of the article is "Credible Threat: How to Protect Networks from Ransomware." So this will be yet another ransomware podcast. But you know, this is a hot topic, and I think there's some really interesting things in here that we don't necessarily always talk about. And he listed a seven step plan to prevent ransomware attacks. And I I say that there's sort of two things when we talk about ransomware attacks, two things that we need to protect from. The first is sort of the traditional, I've taken your data or I've encrypted your data and you can't have it back. What's the second thing that we're worried about? And actually, even the bigger concern now is the fact that people are exfiltrating your data or stealing your data and using that to force you to pay ransom, or they will release your data on the dark web or the public web or whatever else. Right, right. right. Whatever will do the most Usually this information is sensitive, right? It might be payroll. It might be compromising emails, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. It could be. Yeah. It could be compromising email. Like, you know, we have you know, like, like in the case of like the Sony hack, which was not actually a ransomware attack, but, but similar, right. The, the, the original Sony hack where they had embarrassing emails of, we know how you talk to your, <laughs> yep. we know how you talk about your talent. Uh, or it could be, you know, I always use the, the example of, uh, it could be the, uh, the herbs and spices from uh, KFC's secret recipe, right. Um, it could be very, 
uh, it could be your comp your your uh, your secret crown sauce, jewels of your right? yeah, it's yeah the crown jewels yeah. of your company yeah um, or it could be your secret plan um, for your upcoming new product that you really hope doesn't get out before mm-hmm. it's actually out right yep. the news doesn't get out before the product is ready uh, giving your competitor a chance to you know jump you know uh, leapfrog you. Right. Um, yeah. So it could really mess up your competitive advantage in a number of ways or simply embarrass your company. And uh, if it's a public company, you know, the results could be uh, significantly damaging your, um, you know, your um, stock reputation. Price. Yeah. And, well, your yeah. reputation and therefore your stock price. Yeah. I can think of a, do, do, I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast, but I can think of a single backup and restore event that cost billions of dollars in a, in a company's stock evaluation. Have I talked to you? Have we talked about this? No, we have not. So this is a public event. I won't name the company, but I was involved with a, co- with a company many years ago. So they had a publicly accessible website that offered what we now call SaaS. Mm-hmm. Okay. And behind that service was a, uh, an Informix database. And next to that is what we would now probably call Blob you know, object storage. It wasn't mm-hmm. object storage, it was just a file system. But each customer that did something with their product created both uh, multiple database records as well as files in the file system. So they were like scanned documents, mm-hmm. right? In order for backups of that database to be valid, the file system status needed to be um, consistent, with, consistent the with the database. And there was no way to do that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the way that they did that is they shut down the database prior to backing it up. Right. Mm-hmm. So that that would take down the application and no changes would happen to either side while the, the backup was running. And the backup took a while because it was a big database and a big file yeah. system. Blah, 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 blah. So um, I think I think it took like 10 hours. Right. Which, again, not that uncommon back in the day. The other important part is this particular application is one that gets used quite a bit during a very short period of time right so think like think like um it's like the retail season like black friday yeah like black friday right so imagine if you're and this this wasn't walmart but imagine if you're walmart and you had this application and someone took that you know basically so what (laughs) happened was the backup operator um um, did his normal job and took did down his the normal job. They did it every two weeks because it was such a pain. Yeah, he did his. So he's like, oh, it's uh, it's the second week and I need to shut down the application. And he shut down the application on Black Friday, basically. Mm. Right. Mm. It wasn't Black Friday. It wasn't the yeah. thing. But anyway, it, it uh, yeah, their major. So, yeah, their major. Yeah, event. yeah, their major their major event during which 90 uh, percent of their stuff happens during over the course of like three days. It took the application down on the peak day. <laughs> oh, jeez! And it cost. Um, it they lost half the stock value of the stock at the time. Oh my gosh! They lost half their valuation because it, it, it would be the equivalent of Walmart because it was like an yeah. industry leading product. It, yeah. You know, right? It, it'd be the equivalent of Walmart being down for half of Black Friday. Yeah. Well, I know. For instance, for Amazon's Prime Day. Mm-hmm. The AWS folks are on pins and needles for those three days I bet. or four days, just making sure everything runs and is operational because that's like one of Amazon's biggest shopping days, right? So. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, so yeah, so that, so that, so that's this information could absolutely damage your company's, um, you know, reputation and, and as a result, your stock price. So let's talk about these, the, the seven steps that were uh, listed by, uh, Mark Dargan. And so the first that he lists is employee training and you know, I, I, there's nothing to argue with here, right. That, that you know, you have to consistently train your employees on what fishing looks like, for example. So it's interesting, though. I think there are two aspects to this, and maybe he covers it. No, he doesn't. So I think there's two things, right? One is we normally talk about fishing and making sure people understand, okay, what is ransomware, how to prevent it. Right. Um but I don't know if phishing is sort of the only thing. Like you go through those emails, you kind of ignore it. Like it's one of those things that it doesn't seem like, oh, it's never going to hit me. You know, when you're going through those trainings, you just kind of go through and you click all the buttons and you're like, okay, I'm done with this phishing exercise. Right. But it's not that you should be doing it. Okay. Once and done, but you have to be doing it regularly. You have to be doing it regularly. I know, um, for example, Druva switched from, and by the way, this is, um, Prasanna and I work for different companies. I work for Druva. He works for Zoom. This is not a podcast of either company. Company, uh, We're not speaking for those companies. These are our opinions. And uh, make sure to rate us at ratethispodcast.com slash restore. This is not a new idea. Yes, you need to regularly train your people. And I do agree with you, Prasanna, that it needs to be done uh, frequently. So the next, and again, you know, I don't know which of these is more important, but patch servers, devices, and apps. Uh, we talk about this all the time. So many times when we see these ransomware attacks, um, they're using exploits that were fixed like a year ago. I mean, sometimes, you know, we, we recorded an episode. I don't know where it'll show up in the thing, but we recorded an episode about the Kaseya attack. Sometimes it's a zero day vulnerability and the, the bad guys are on it the moment that it's announced and the company knew about it but they didn't they didn't address it in time or yeah. address some or of like the or like the Microsoft Exchange attack as well. That was the one where a bunch of uh, there was an exchange vulnerability and I think it was like 65,000 organizations were affected. And what with happened? Our on-premise. Um it was basically a backdoor that allowed people to get in and read their emails and other things. Nice. Nice. Um yeah, so it, sometimes it's like that, but sometimes um I think about just like a year ago, there was a well-used attack that had been addressed. That, you know, it, like, like years before. Yeah, like I think it was at least a year before that. It's like this vulnerability was patched a year ago, and if you were attacked, then you know you're 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 a year behind in your you know patch management. And I think the one thing to mention that, that uh, Mark talks about is it includes devices. I think a lot of people forget about that aspect. They just think about laptops, desktops, yeah. right? Their applications. But yeah. your network devices is also a perfect yes. um, uh, attack surface as well. Yes. Um, it, I'd say it's even a better attack surface, right? Because it's 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 typically like very known things, um, you know, anything that's running a certain level of firmware uh, might have a vulnerability and, you know, you just need to be up to date yeah. on that. And and I get it. I, I understand how hard all of this is, but man, this, this is a job you signed up for. 
right? Um, I think so many of the ransomware attacks that I've seen would would be stopped simply by making sure that you were up to date on your um, on the server. Now he he doesn't mention this is a related thing, but he doesn't mention, and I, I'm going to say I'm going to redefine the word patch here. I think you should also um, like address known vulnerabilities. For example, things like um, uh, RDP, yep. right? RDP, my opinion is RDP should be uh, shut off. By the way, there is actually a command. Um, I wrote in my my article in Network World last month, uh, the, the July article, it talks about some commands that can be used in a Microsoft environment uh, to completely disable RDP on all of your, you know, I mean, you need domain admin, for example, but if you have domain admin, you can, with one command, you know, go and disable RDP on all your, all your desktops. So I, I think that you should use something like that um, and disable RDP or at a minimum, make it only accessible via a certain network, you know, segment yeah. or whatever, you know, secure RDP as much as possible and yep. other things like NFS and SMB backups, for example, should not be sitting on an, yep. on an, on an SMB <laughs> or uh, NFS mount. We've talked about that. I think the other thing, and I don't know why more people don't talk about this. I know we talk about patch servers, devices, mm -hmm, and apps, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it's also make sure that you're using up-to-date devices, if you will, right? Yeah. Don't use a device that's EOL'd. Right. Right. Or end of support because you're not going to get patches, right? If it, I'll give you a perfect example. If you have an iPhone, you probably don't want to be using anything older than like a 6S at this point. Right. Right. Because Apple has stopped supporting it, which means you're not going to get the latest security updates and patches and everything else. So that also becomes critical to think about. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, um, uh, I, I have a, an iPhone 11, which I, I hadn't had a new phone in a while. And I made that jump from the home button to the not home button world. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's take, it took me a while to get used to it. Uh, those of you that have made it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But then the other day, I needed to do something on my wife's phone, and she has the home button, and I was completely lost. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I was like, wait, 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 wait. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. You know, you can't just swipe and get the things that you need. I had to, like, rethink about how yep. I do things. It was really kind of <laughs> interesting. So, yes, I agree, uh, devices as well. Um, so, yeah, so that's all about just sort of following best practices, uh, shutting down services, patching servers. Uh, there are systems out there to help you automate patch management. And I would highly suggest that you take a look at them. Yeah. Um, the next we have is antivirus tools on endpoints. Um, I, I don't think enough people do this. Um, I, I also think that maybe if they have windows, they might have an antivirus tool, but if they have Mac, uh, they might not well, have a windows virus tool on there. I'm sorry. They yeah, might not no, have a antivirus tool. Antivirus. Yeah. And that, I, th I totally agree with that. I think a lot of people think just because you're running a Mac, that there's no need for antivirus tools that Macs are protected, right? right. From viruses, but that's not the case. Not, In fact, you're starting yeah. to see a lot more attacks specifically targeting Macs because that is now becoming more of a common uh, vector for attacks. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, um, and, and the other thing I was going to also mention is even on Windows, I think people figure that, oh, Windows Defender is good enough. And Microsoft's done a good job of at least providing something right. natively. But right. I don't know if that is enough. No, I definitely I'm not don't as familiar yeah. with Defender, but it just seems like you would want a proper antivirus tool checking, looking for behaviors, patterns across everything. Right. Agreed. Um, and and by the way, I, I don't want to leave Linux out of this, right? Linux is also mm. not invulnerable to attacks. In fact, there were, uh, I, I was reading some articles recently about um, how um, the, some of the ransomware tools are attacking both Linux and also VMware, right? That they're running specific VMware commands to yep. uh, to encrypt VMware, uh, you know, VMs. And I, I think I've talked about it on the podcast before, but it does amuse me that these uh, ransomware folks, what they do is they, they suspend the VM and then they encrypt it because they want to make sure that when they give you the unencryption key that you're unencrypting a, <laughs> a, a consistent <laughs> image. How thoughtful of them. How thoughtful of them. It's so <laughs> nice of them to, to suspend the images out there. Um, all right. So, yeah. So antivirus tools on your endpoints, which includes both your laptops and your phones. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a big thing. I think everyone forgets about their phones. Yeah. Now it's become more common to use phones or tablets for work, but those are also not um, bulletproof. So well, best practices for that would be what's it called? Uh, mobile device MDM, right? MDMs. Yep. If you're officially using your stuff for work, um, you should be using some type of, um, you know, MDM software, um, uh, you know, I don't want to go too much detail there, but that's another thing that you can do to further protect your environment from rogue devices. And then the next on the seven. The next point one, plan, I think we can skip that. I think we can skip, skip that it. One. We don't need to do this one. <laughs> yeah. It says back up your data. Uh yeah. Curtis's favorite topic. <laughs> yeah. Back up your stuff, man. Back it up or give it up. That's what I like to say. But I think the one thing he did miss in this, though, was okay. talking about the 3 two, one rule. You know what? We never want to miss a chance to talk about the 3 two, one rule. He doesn't, does he? He doesn't mention that you need to. He is talking about disaster recovery plan, uh, and he talks about testing it. Um, but he doesn't talk about making sure that you segregate. It is really important because when we talk about ransomware, you need to think about where your backups are stored and whether or not a ransomware attack could infect your backup system and then, you know, use RDP, for example, to infect your backup server or use some other mechanism to infect your backups. Because that is one downside to, you know, and, and I think that the world is so much better with disk-based backups and cloud-based backups than they ever were before. But this is one thing that we're missing from the tape days. And that was that you couldn't crawl over to a tape with a, you know, piece of ransomware and, yeah. and attack the data on the tape. Yeah. Now, granted, I will say in the next point, which is testing your backups, yeah. he does try to talk about segregation where okay. by saying you should keep your backup devices separate okay. from their production networks. But... He just doesn't that, mention the three, two, one rule. Yeah, saying. but but it also doesn't imply that you should keep an offsite copy or something that's air gapped, if you will. Right. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know, in all the conversations that we had on the OVH disaster, uh, I think that that 
<laughs> they, they demonstrated to the world what happens when you segregate your backups, but you don't really segregate your backups. Yeah. Right. The, they, they said that they physically, what did they say? They said the backups were physically isolated, which we now yeah. know based on what happened, physically isolated meant they put it in a different corner of the same data center. The three, two, one rule says that at least one of the copies needs to be off site. And we've updated that to be, I, I, I now say in another place because off site yeah. doesn't really mean anything in, in the cloud yeah. world. Yeah. Now he also does mention though, that he says, make sure your backup data is protected from ransomware attacks. But yeah, I think being a bit more specific, it should be making sure it's off site. So it is physically isolated right? because it's not just ransomware. You also want to protect from other disasters too. Right. And, and I, uh, I, I, I'll, you know, I'll put out a, a disclaimer here. Obviously I work for a backup as a service vendor and I'm about to talk about the way some competitors do things. I'll acknowledge my bias there. Um, I do wonder about, I think some people think, well, I don't have this issue because my, my backups are in the cloud and by backups are in the cloud. They mean that they're running some backup software on a VM in the cloud. And I have a concern there and I'm pretty sure it's a valid concern that if you're running software on a similar host in the cloud, right? Whether it be it, be it Linux or Windows, but I think I am still more concerned about Windows. If you're running that server on a VM in the cloud, I don't think you're any more protected than you are if that server is physically on-prem. Why do I say that? Because in order for backups to work, you need to, that VM in the cloud needs to appear from a networking perspective, appear like it's local. And if it appears like it's local, then you could, a ransomware that attacks your local backup server could then infect your cloud-based backup server if it's the same type of uh, system. Does that make sense? No, it does make sense because I think a lot of companies would be deploying either a VPN connecting from on-premises to the cloud or using like a depending on what cloud you're using, like AWS has Direct Connect, which kind of directly connects you up to the cloud. So it all feels like a single network. Right. And so I think any attack that happens locally, it's as likely to happen to that instance running in the cloud. Yeah. And so the the, the way to stop that for sure is that, you know, there, there's, there's two ways. One is to make sure that your backup system in the cloud, even, even if... Because uh, um, you know, even if you your hacker, you know the malware could access your backup server in the cloud. Make sure that it can't access the backup data. You say, well, how could it access the backup server but not access the backup data? We go back to that same backup system design that I talked on prem. Don't have your backup sitting there in a file system. Right? <laughs> they should be in something else. In this case, object storage. The best place for backups in the cloud is object storage because you can't uh, readily, a, a ransomware product is not going to be able to encrypt objects, right? Even if it could, if they get to the right server, they could potentially get access to the objects depending on how that those objects are configured, someone could delete them. And so I will say that um, one, I think one other valid um, way to make sure this doesn't ever happen is to use 
uh, object lock. Object right? lock to make sure um, that the object can't be deleted. Yep. Yeah. And, um, you know, I know at least at least one of our competitors, Veeam, uh, does that. I think that's that's a, a solid way to make sure that your backups are never going to be encrypted by ransomware. Um, and, you know, and then other ways would be ways that you, you make sure that th- that there is no way to get from A to B. Don't want to speak about specifics of the way Druva does things, but um, there, there is no way to get from your data center to your objects um, via the network, right? Yep. Um, it's just not possible via the architect. So he talks but, about backing up your data. Go ahead. What were you going to say? But, but for your test, your backups, right? Which is the next yeah, thing we were on. Yeah. Right. I think I know this is a point you like to talk a lot about, although yeah, funnily, yeah. you forgot to put it in your book <laughs> until someone brought it up. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Yeah, <laughs> we know about that. Uh, yeah, I do like to talk about this quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and the, yeah, we, we've talked about it before. I, I think, you know, one crucial thing on testing your backups, especially from a DR perspective, is to make sure it's being done by someone other than the person who no- normally does backups. I think it should be done uh, under fire. I think that it should be as stressful as it can because that's the way it'll be uh, in a real scenario. And I think that you really need to think about your RTO, right? You really need to establish a, a, a solid RTO that's measured in hours, not in days or weeks. And if you're able to have, uh, you know, recovery time objective, by the way, how, how that, that's what RTO is, if you don't know that, um, th- that if you're able to bring your entire data center back up online in a few hours, um, that's a solid tool to have in your arsenal if you get hit by a ransomware attack. Yeah, for sure. Um, and if, and if, and if you're, if you, you don't know what your, I, I, <laughs> I say RTR, your recovery time reality is, if you don't know what your RTR is, or you haven't, you know, you, or you, you know what it is and it's measured in days and weeks, um, then you need to reevaluate your, your DR plan, yeah. um, because you are prime candidate for a ransomware attack that you would yep. then have to pay the ransomware for. Yep. And those lines of businesses who you're supporting are not going to be happy with you. If you don't have a good RTR, then you could get an RPE. Resume producing event. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) People have been fired over bad backups. I know that for sure. Um, All right. The next uh, one here we have is conducting vulnerability assessments, otherwise known as uh, pen tests or penetration tests. Um, I believe in these strongly. Um, the, um, any, any thoughts there? No, I think they are important. I think, like you said, penetration testing or vulnerability assessment isn't just technology. It's also people. Yep. <laughs> yep. Well, just like the, the one I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Right. Uh, call, we, we tell them we're never going to do it and then we do it. Right. Or, or it's even the fact that <clears throat> assumes three people get hit by a bus. What yes. Happened? Yes. Exactly. Um, by the way, it's always it's always that. it's always the kid, but it's never like three people win win the uh, lottery and they don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah, I remember back when we had Wolfgang Gerlich on, and he he talked about this a lot. He talked about pen testing, and and he had some real input on the way pen testing should be done. That was episode one thirteen. Information security expert says infosec must evolve. He he said that the way some companies do like fish fishing testing right mm. uh is like uh, he was like it was like heartless like it 
Yeah. So, so if you're interested in that, I would definitely check out that episode, but yes. So, so check, um, you know, check your systems, right? Check yourself before you wreck yourself. (laughs) Uh, and do it periodically too, right? Yes. Don't just do it once and assume everything's good. Exactly. And then finally he has monitor and alert for suspicious activity. And this one, um, I, I think is a great idea. Yeah, because I think a lot of information gets logged and captured, but not a lot of people, I think, actually look for patterns or suspicious activity, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we've talked about, th- there's a couple of things that you're worried about here. One is uh, in the episode that just went live uh, yesterday, the, the George Crump's, um, you know, store one, um, you know, he talked about an incident where the, the ransomware attack had started with the oldest files first, mm. right. And, um, that they sort of quietly were encrypting all of these older files in the background and, um, nobody noticed until, you know, basically as soon as there was a collision between somebody asks, <laughs> accessing a newer file, then they went crazy and they started encrypting everything. Right. Yeah. And they did this sort of slowly in order to. Uh, not you know, alert suspicion. Stay, yeah, stay under the radar. But even that, you would think a good, <clears throat> like machine learning or AI based system would be able to detect. Hey, there, there's this weird pattern where a bunch of older files are suddenly being accessed and changed. A lot of them, right? It wouldn't take a very high percentage of them to to be noticed, right? Um, and then the other, of course, would be there seems to be an excessive amount of reading of certain Mm -hmm. data, right? That would, again, the only way you're going to notice that I would think is through some kind of AI or ML. Yeah. Or someone complains about performance on their storage system. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't understand why, you know, I, I would, when I always think about this, um, did you watch alias when it was on? I watched, uh, I think the first two seasons. Okay. This might have been in the first suit. So there was Mar- Marshall Flankman, right? Marshall was the the nerd. Mm-hmm. You remember that guy? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a scene in there where he had detected a um, a data leak out of the data mm-hmm. center. And the, the scene is he comes running in and he's like, they're downloading all the files off the server. And he just, <laughs> and his Rolls response was, cable. yeah, well, no, he, uh, he flips all the power switches. Like the, <laughs> for the whole, like he goes to the, and it's, you know, it's a very big physical thing. He's like, boom, 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 taking down all these things. Um, and um, yeah, so that's the thing to look for is data transferring, you know, at a rate different. And again, I'm not an expert in that kind of thing but there are companies and i know there's one company um that has been uh all up in my twitter feed uh <laughs> this company safe ai i think would be the way you pronounce that um and we'll probably reach out to them and see uh what the way they so the, the way they do it is a is a a storage system that looks for things like this right they're like we're the storage we hold the data so therefore we can see the access patterns and we can use ml and ai uh to you know to detect weird stuff going on um and uh, of course in order to do that you have to put everything on that file system or object store which is it's kind of a that's uh what, what do we call it at a forklift 
you know, it's definitely a forklift upgrade. Um, but they're obviously they think that the the benefits are worth it. All right. Well, I think that. Um, and then, then by the way, he he uh, talks yeah, the about, last one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's like, if you do detect a ransomware attack, there are things that you should do. I actually wrote an entire article about it um, in last month's network. Or, uh, so it, last month, meaning July. July. Um, if you go to networkworld.com and search on W. Curtis Preston, you'll find my articles. The title of my article from last month is called Ransomware Recovery Plan for It Now. And the idea is that that goes from some of, st- some of the stuff from the podcast where we have um, we've sort of uncovered that the actual part of the restore is only one part of the overall response to a ransomware attack, right? That you have to you have to identify what's been infected, you have to stop further infection, you have to clean the infection before you start the recovery, and that's what this article uh, talked about, right? And the very first thing it talks about basically doing what Marshall Flankman did, just shutting down everything. Right. Shut mm-hmm. down everything until you can figure out what's going yeah. on. Right. Because you don't want to stop. You don't want to have to be yeah. further infected. Yeah. And in fact, this is kind of what also Tony from Spectrologic told us as well. Right. Yeah. Tony Mendoza in episode 96, Ransomware Victim Tells His Story. So, yeah. And, that, and that's actually it was that episode that inspired that article. So, yeah. So it, the idea is yeah, it took them two weeks, I think, to figure yep. out. And he and he basically admitted I the thing is, you know, it takes a big man to admit when he's wrong. Right. <laughs> and he, he came in and said that they did not plan for that kind of thing. Right. Yep. And so he, he definitely has changed how they protect things. Um, so. Uh, all right. Well, I think we have um, given enough advice for the day. You think so? Persona? Yeah. I think so too. And we should probably also uh, mention the article again. Yeah. So I think we've talked enough about uh, this network world article, credible threat, how to protect networks from ransomware uh, by Mark Dargan. Uh, So thanks to Mark for writing the article and hope you don't mind us uh, commenting um, (laughs) on your article. So um, thanks for hanging out digital for digitally hanging out with me again, persona. (laughs) <laughs> anytime Curtis and I, good I would, luck with the car doors yeah I was gonna say I wish you could I wish you lived anywhere near me so that you <laughs> could come yeah a lot of people they, they probably think we're sitting next to each other we are what 500 miles apart from each yep. other yeah yeah sitting here with microphones and headphones and whatnot and um I oh. am all on my own with regards to this <laughs> taking apart this door but you know honestly if I was there I would probably just be doing just like I do on the YouTube videos and just be sitting back and just telling you, you should do this you should do that Curtis <laughs> that's right I forgot this is it this is in the YouTube knowledge <laughs> area <laughs> you were like you're like you're sitting back and you're like wow the view of this is different <laughs> in 3D <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what I should. I should get a 3D camera, send you some VR goggles, uh-huh. and then I could be there like in person. Yeah, virtual. Yep, that would be awesome. That would be weird. That's what it would yeah. be. All right. Well, um, thanks to the listeners, and uh, remember to subscribe so that you can restore it all. isn't worth a spit finally i needed your backup you had a chance to fix it instead it's all jacked up see how i'll write on facebook about you don't underestimate the things that i will do there was a file but i deleted it too bad your backup
It'll be completely done Maybe one day 